from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast, where we sometimes veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Rebecca, Walter, Jennifer, Elena, Elise, Ariel, Chantel, Stacy, Jessica, my dear two Emmas, Whitney and Rachel, Alethea, Catherine, Linda, Teresa, Sophie, Nanette, David, Trudy, and John. Thank you so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patron. Like, share, and subscribe. It just might help our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written with a listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. So wow, guys, here we are. There has been so much going on with regards to murder in the news, and I thought perhaps I'd dedicate a podcast to getting us all caught up in a few of these news stories. So without further ado, so let's start in Oklahoma. And you know, Oklahoma is just right next door to me. The state line is literally just down and over there. I could get there in the car after listening to just one full music album. And you'd think Oklahoma is pretty innocuous, you know. It's flat, it's mostly prairie and farm area. The pioneer woman lives there for Christ's sake. The people are pretty wholesome and hardworking, where a firm handshake still means they will actually do what was agreed upon. Unfortunately, that was not the case for four men last month. 32-year-old Mark Chastain, 30-year-old Billy Chastain, 32-year-old Mike Sparks, and 29-year-old Alex Stevens were described as close friends. As far as their backgrounds, that is still coming to light. But what is known is that the four men got on bicycles starting at Billy's house and went for a ride on Sunday, October 9th of this year. A witness later told police that, unfortunately, The men were gathering that Sunday evening to, quote, hit a lick big enough for all of them, end quote, which means the witness believed they were going to commit some criminal act. It is believed that they had been planning on stealing something from a local scrapyard called A&A Salvage in Okmogee, which is 40 miles south of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, what that was, considering they were on bicycles, is interesting. And considering the meth crisis in the middle of the U.S., that's where my thoughts lie. Regardless, they never returned, so that evening they were reported missing by family. So tracking the men's cell phones, they were able to see that they had been at least near the scrapyard property. So the property was searched, and authorities found nothing. 
But what they did find was evidence of a violent event that was very near the property. What that means, I couldn't find. So the search began for these four men. Five days after they had gone missing, searchers discovered human remains in Deep Fork River, just a few miles from where they had been last seen near Billy's house. Their remains were found, quote, protruding from the water as described by the news source. It appears, at least for now, as details are slowly coming out, that the men had been shot multiple times, then dismembered by being severed in half at the waist, and at least one, if not more, had also had an arm cut off. Authorities believe the remains were dumped sometime very early Monday morning, so it would appear they disappeared, were shot, dismembered, and their remains dumped in the river within a handful of hours. The bodies then just lay in that river for five days. Now, some believe it was a drug cartel due to the dismemberment, and at first you'd think that would be highly unlikely in Oklahoma, of all places, but you'd be surprised. There is a very real population of legit gang members in Oklahoma City and Tulsa that have migrated from the West, so it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility. So the owner of the salvage yard is a 67-year-old man named Joe Kennedy. The police named him a person of interest, but not a suspect. That is important to remember. So they interviewed Joe, and he says he did not know the four men. Then Joe promptly stole an employee's car from the scrapyard and took off. They were finally able to find him all the way over and down in Daytona Beach, Florida, on October 18th, five days after the grisly discovery. Joe's wife promptly filed for divorce from her husband, petitioning for 100% of their dozens of real estate holdings, I'm sure, in an attempt to not lose any properties. Now, Joe has a bit of a past, you see. Joe shot and nearly killed a man named Robert Skinner in 2012, but he did survive. Joe had stated Robert was a suspected burglar lurking in the back of the scrapyard. Robert maintains he was most certainly not on Joe's property when he shot him. A mother of one of the four victims said, quote, For one person to kill four grown men, chop their bodies up, and dump them in a river, I just can't see one person doing all of that. Whoever did this had to have help. To chop a body in half is what the drug cartels do to the dead. Whoever did this wanted to send a message. End quote. Moving on to the next story recently in the headlines. Coming out of Western Iowa, a 53-year-old woman by the name of Lucy Studi or Study, I apologize if I mispronounce that, has come forward to say that her father, Donald, was a serial killer over the span of three decades. She claims her father had killed between 50 to 70 people and that she and her siblings were forced to dispose of the bodies in a well on the property that has been sealed shut for a very long time. Now, Lucy's older sister, Susan, told Newsweek that, quote, My father was not the man she makes him out to be. He was strict, but he was a protective parent who loved his children. Strict fathers don't just turn into serial killers. I'm two years older than Lucy. I think I would know if my father murdered, 
end quote. The county sheriff stated, quote, we are actively investigating this and who wouldn't? We have a scene, but we don't know whether it's a crime scene. We don't have any victims, bodies, nothing. All we have is a woman who came forward and told us a story about bodies in a well. We did bring a couple cadaver dogs. Cadaver dogs looked in there or looked around the area, and they did indicate in the area. I'm not going to say it was right over the well, but they did indicate in the area. End quote. Now, apparently Lucy has been telling people this for years, and no one paid attention to her, except in 2007, when she garnered enough attention that an excavation was done on just a portion of the land that bordered on someone else's land and garnered no evidence. Lucy stated that he abducted mostly all women, possibly a couple of men, and many were sex workers or homeless from Omaha, Nebraska. He would then take them to his property and murder them. We don't know yet as to what might have happened between, of course. Lucy gave details about how she watched her father and two others carry a body from the trunk of a vehicle and her suspicion that her dad sexually assaulted and killed a 15-year-old girl. And cadaver dogs did sniff out suspected human remains at the well site. Now, Donald died in 2013 at the age of 75, so it appears that, while the FBI is joining in with local and state investigators, they are stating there is no timeline for this. Donald is no longer alive and therefore no longer a threat. An article in the New York Post released on November 1st that an excavation on the land is planned. So what do we know about Donald? Well, according to the Des Moines Register, he was a, quote, troubled man who lived in the remote wooded area of Green Hollow, north of Thurman, Iowa. It was written that his family's history goes back more than 100 years there. It was written that there exist some 20 reports that the newspaper obtained from the Fremont County Sheriff's Office dating back to the late 90s that show he had a history of violent and erratic behavior. This included threats to kill the son of his second wife. When the police responded, he became suicidal and shot himself in his own arm. One of the officers stated that any time a deputy was dispatched to Green Hollow, quote, it was a two-car call. Now get this. This information comes from The Sun for what it's worth, okay? But they wrote that the two wives Donald had been married to died by suicide in unusual circumstances. That's all I could find, but perhaps there is something there. I don't want to speculate, but thought I'd share. So we'll have to keep an eye on this case as it possibly develops. The next bit of news comes out of Stockton, California. I think the best way to talk about this one is to look at the timeline provided by abcnewsgo.com. So far as they think, it all started on April 10th, 2021. At 4.18 a.m., a 40-year-old man was shot and killed in Oakland, California. Six days later, at 3.20 a.m., a 46-year-old woman was shot in Stockton, California, and it appears that if you make a triangle from Sacramento to San Francisco, then the third point to the east would be Stockton, just to give you an idea. 
This woman who was shot thankfully survived. She described to the police that she had been in her tent. It didn't specifically say if she was camping or homeless or what. And she heard someone approach. She came out of her tent to a gun pointed at her. He shot several times at her, but never said a word. Then the shooter laid low, as far as we know, for a bit over a year. Then on July 8th of this year, at 12.31 a.m., a 35-year-old man was shot and killed. The victim was remembered by loved ones as a good man with a good heart. The next month, at 9.45 p.m., a 43-year-old man was shot and killed. Around two weeks later, a 21-year-old man was fatally shot at 6.41 a.m., and this murder is where we see the killer murdering much more frequently, the compulsion to do so intensifying. Not even a month later, on September 21st at 4.27 a.m., a 52-year-old man was fatally shot in Stockton. Less than a week later, on September 27th, a 54-year-old man was fatally shot at 1.53 a.m., Three days after this last murder, the Stockton police announced that they believed the shootings were connected, stating this met the criteria to label the shooter as a serial killer. They then released an image of a man who was considered a person of interest, though really who could identify anyone in that shot. But this is what they had. They also stated they believed the two shootings from 2021 were also the result of this man. On October 4th, the Stockton Police released a short video of a person of interest. On the Stockton Police Department Twitter page, they wrote, Homicide Series Update. Today, Chief McFadden released a video of the person of interest in regards to this series. If you have any info, please call with the phone number and a cash reward for information. Okay, but it was mentioned that they didn't know if the man in the video was the murderer or a witness, but that he had most definitely been at more than one of the scenes. Ten days after the release of information, 43-year-old Wesley Brownlee was arrested in connection with the deaths. A surveillance team had followed Wesley while he was driving. His driving patterns and the area he was driving around made them think he was out hunting his next victim. They noticed he was driving his teal green colored van and nearby was a person sitting alone at Pinella Park. They quickly pulled him over around 2 a.m. again, October 4th, and he was wearing dark clothing with a mask around his neck. They also found a gun in his waistband. So, Wesley had lived a life of crime. He's lived in Stockton off and on, working as a truck driver while also living in other cities. He has a colorful criminal record in California and also Arizona with past drug violations, such as possession of crack cocaine with intent to distribute, which he served time for in both states, traffic violations, a DUI, and others. Wesley was born in San Francisco, but grew up in Oakland, a mere few blocks from where he gunned down one of his first victims. He was raised there until his mother moved to Stockton after he was 18 years old. His parents divorced when he was in his mid-teens. After this, just two weeks before his 15th birthday, Wesley was arrested on suspicion of sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl, 
along with two other boys. While being interviewed by a juvenile probation officer, he denied any involvement and blamed his two friends. His mother stood beside him, stating the victim hadn't initially implicated her son until a later interview. So when he was 16, his 17-year-old brother Dale was shot and killed in a drug-related incident. After this, it was said that Wesley became very depressed and, quote, very distressed over his brother's death, which is, of course, expected, and his mother did seek out counseling for him. Records discovered that he had been diagnosed with a learning disability in elementary school, and he dropped out of high school when he was a junior or 11th grade. A later probation report stated that Wesley, quote, apparently suffers both innate mental limitation and psychological stress over his brother's 1995 shooting death. He seems either unable or unwilling to assume meaningful responsibility for himself. He appears to have difficulty settling into any kind of positive activity, end quote. He had, at one point, expressed interest in going to college for computer science and earning a basketball scholarship to hopefully play in the NBA someday. Instead, he was arrested and charged with possessing 67 bindles of crack cocaine and was given three years probation, but that was revoked the next year because he sold crack to an undercover cop. He served his time in San Quentin. So they are looking into whether or not these were also hate crimes, considering most, if not all, of his victims were of Latino descent. So that's what we have so far on the Stockton serial killer. Moving on to the last segment, though I'm sure most of you know by now, they've made an arrest in the Delphi murders from 2017. I've covered this case in the past, so I'm not going to go over all of the details of what happened, but in short... Two young teenage girls were ordered by a man to walk down and off of an old train track bridge in Delphi, Indiana, and were found later murdered. The case has garnered international attention because one of the girls had the forethought to use her phone to film, quote, bridge guy, which led to the really only released evidence in the case. Okay, well, they've arrested a 50-year-old man by the name of Richard Matthew Allen, so what do we know about him? He was a resident of Delphi, which is a very small town in Indiana. He worked at the local CVS pharmacy, helping people with their prescriptions, and was often seen outside the building taking his smoke breaks. Everyone described him as a nice and helpful man, and it appears no one suspected him. He lived in a very respectable middle-class home just under two miles from the bridge and scene of the crime. He also lived in that town where there were posters of the sketches of Bridge Guy everywhere, a constant reminder of those poor girls and their murder, and he still appeared to be the ever-concerned citizen, stating he wanted justice for the girls like everyone else. According to the New York Post, Richard and his wife Kathy were regular patrons of a local bar and grill and would often sit a mere few feet from one of the sketches. The couple would often and openly talk about the killings. The owner said, quote, We would carry on conversations about it. He would say, you know, it's such a tragedy, and we'd say we felt sorry for the families and all of that. End quote. The owner also said he considered the couple his close friends for nearly 20 years, 
and to add insult to injury, some of Abby and Libby's family would also be there at the establishment. Richard and Kathy, who works as a veterinarian, were apparently quite active in the community and were even members of a pool league. People described them as quiet, sweet, and friendly. Libby's own grandmother stated that Richard had processed photos at the CVS of the girls for their family and didn't charge them for them. Local people say the voice on the recording was not recognizably Richard. He is charged with two counts of murder, to which he has pleaded not guilty, and is now officially being held on a $20 million bond. The court has verified a request to prohibit public access to the records. This means the records are sealed, ordered by the judge on the case. I tried to see if Richard had any criminal past, but according to Fox News, he did not have any criminal record, nothing substantial. Fox News also said that investigators searched Richard's home two weeks ago with a focus on the property's fire pit, which yielded some kind of evidence that led to his arrest. And I don't know the validity of this next statement, okay, but a source stated that Richard came forward as a witness in the earlier stages of the murder investigation. What really disturbs me is that those girls were murdered near that bridge. Then a year and a couple of months later, Richard and Kathy took a picture of their own daughter posing on that same bridge. I couldn't find anything else reliable. The information about the case is sealed, and though this has angered so many people, we must understand that this case is huge, and it involves children. They are keeping everything close to the vest because they do not want even one tiny mistake to lead to a mistrial or make it seem that anyone involved thought him, you know, guilty before proven innocent. They do not want the information about what these young girls suffered out of the court for public opinion. This isn't Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. These are two very innocent and very young girls who were murdered. The hows and the whys will come out eventually. We simply must be patient. Guys, we must. It is enough to know that they believe they have caught their killer and he has his constitutionally protected rights to be innocent until proven guilty. He's not getting bonded out. He's not going anywhere. So now is the time to take a deep breath and just be grateful that we are at least at this point. I agree with their effort to protect the integrity of the case. I want no slip that would allow a child murderer to be set free. And with that... I believe we are caught up for the most part. I want to personally thank all of you who have sent me so much information about these cases, which is incredibly helpful because I get very busy researching other things and I do miss things from time to time. And I will continue to do these sorts of murder in the news podcasts as more cases come to light. Remember, we have the Cannibals in Missouri court hearings next year, as well as the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell next year. There's a lot going on and a lot to look forward to. And you know, I'll do my best to keep you informed. So that's it. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day.